Farmers are the heartbeat of rural America. Congress recently invested $20 billion in America's farmers and ranchers, focusing on conservation practices and profits for future generations. Today, these funds are at risk. You're squawking over $20 billion. That USDA program, it's investment into the future for everybody. If the funding was eliminated, it could hurt farms and families. Tell Congress, protect this generational investment in the Farm Bill. Learn more at investinourland.org. Paid for by Invest in Our Land. Hello, listeners. This is Scott Bland, your host. This week on the Nerdcast, we are taking a break from our usual routine to take a look at something I've been really interested in over the past few months, actually going back almost a year, presidential pardons. And that's going to be the subject of this week's special Thanksgiving episode of the Nerdcast. With respect to Chelsea Manning, I looked at the particulars of this case the same way I have the other commutations and pardons that I've done. And the pardon is one of the most absolute powers a president has. They really can just say the word and criminal convictions are wiped out like they never happened. And by these presents do grant a full, free and absolute pardon unto Richard Nixon. Now, obviously, a lot more than just saying the word goes into presidential pardons. Did the pardon of uh, Sheriff Joseph Arpaio go through the uh, pardon attorney office? Usually, at least most of them. I don't believe it did. Yeah. And that's part of the reason that President Donald Trump's pardons have gotten so much attention. Some have been more controversial than others, but they're really, they're all so fascinating to me. Even though peas and carrots have received a presidential pardon, I have warned them that House Democrats are likely to issue them both subpoenas. Okay, not all of the pardons are as fascinating as the others. Fascinating, maybe stretching it a little bit for, for a few of them. What we want to do for this episode is take President Trump's use of the pardon power in non-Turkey situations and put it into context. We want to put it in the historical context of where he fits in with other presidents and also where the pardon power fits into our national fabric. But then we also want to put President Trump's pardons in the context of the big looming role that they've had in the Robert Mueller investigation, the investigation into Russian interference in American politics, which, as we all know, has focused in on Trump and some people close to him. So the first part, the historical context. We are joined by Jeffrey Engel, who is going to help us figure all that out. Professor Engel is the founding director of the Center for Presidential History at Southern Methodist University in Dallas, Texas, and he's authored more than 10 books on American foreign policy and the American presidency. So he is the perfect person to walk us through the history of pardons. Jeffrey, hello. Hi, good to talk to you. Thank you so much for helping us out. So I'm struck by, we, we've watched in, in recent years the executive power and the power of the presidency grow and grow, but the, the pardon power still strikes me as just one of the most absolute things that a president can do. It's their decision, their word is more or less absolute, and, and I, I feel like that's why they can be controversial. Can you give us a little ex explainer here? How did this come to be one of, the, one of these few spots where the president's power is, is so absolute and what he says goes and is the, is the last word. Sure. You know, there, there, there's two basic reasons. The first is is historical and the second, obviously, more, more likely is practical. Um, but really to understand presidential pardons and why the president has such absolute power here, we have to go back not only to the Constitution, but to before the Constitution. That is to say, within Western European and in particular English tradition, the sovereign, the king, had absolute authority, including 
absolute authority over justice within his or her realm. And justice, we have to remember, is not just about punishment. Justice is about giving a just reward or a just punishment to a, a, a person who commits a deed or who has done something good. Uh, and so there developed an idea that the king could go in and essentially wave his hand, almost like a deity, and dissolve the responsibilities that a person have or dissolve their guilt. If they had done something bad and then something good, we can you know, wipe the slate clean. And that carried through to the, for the architects of the Constitution in what they gave the president, which was essentially un, unbridled power to uh, absolve all crimes against the United States. Now, that just is important to notice that that's just the United States. That's not state crimes. It's not civil crimes. It's right. just federal crimes. And really, the president is only uh, not allowed to use his pardon power, his or her pardon power in cases of impeachment, which is to say they can't, in the middle of an impeachment case, a lot more likely themselves, um, wave that wand over themselves or over their, or over people who had been previously impeached. Uh, and beyond that, there really is very little that is used to restrain the president. There have been cases in the past where Congress has jumped in after a pardon and passed resolutions saying, we think that was a really bad pardon. And that's as far as it ever goes. No one has actually been able to constrain the, the president. Uh, and there's really a practical reason also that the founders use this in their constitution, which is that they wanted it to be, like all things within the constitution, a further check on power within the government. And in particular, presidents having the ability to nullify judicial rulings is a really powerful tool to keep the judiciary from growing too strong. You know, in our 21st century world, we think of the ways in which Congress and the judiciary might constrain the executive. For the people in, in, in the 1787 Constitutional Convention, constraining the legislature and the judiciary was equally, if not arguably, more important than constraining the executive. And giving the president the power to pardon was really important to make sure that judiciary didn't go wild. That's fascinating. So th there are only two presidents who didn't take advantage of this pardon power. Uh, because they both died rather quickly. And and so even though the numbers vary greatly, the presidents have been pardoning since the, the founding of the, of the country, right? This is, you know, the, it's it's written down in the, in the founding documents and it's been part of presidencies since the beginning, right? Yeah, George Washington used it. And like all things with Washington, really set a precedent in many ways, though I would argue a precedent that we're increasingly seeing ignored in that Washington really used his power of the pardon for broad national purposes, for broad political purposes, going beyond whether an individual was perhaps individually guilty or complicit in a crime, but rather whether the punishment meted out to them was useful for the nation. The best example being the fact that Washington pardoned the leaders of the Whiskey Rebellion, one of the popular uprisings that occurred during his first administration. And rather than see those people after they were captured, prosecuted, perhaps even executed for treason, he thought it'd be better to pardon them, to recognize that, yes, they had legitimate grievances, they took up the wrong means of solving them, but let's make the entire region that they came from more likely to accept, re-accept federal control than, to, than we would gain by martyring the, these two or three individuals. So mm -hmm. he used the pardon power really when he thought that justice would help the nation in a broad sense. At, at this point, when when I think of the pardon power, or certainly when people in my job end up considering 
the the pardon power a lot. It's because uh, there tend to be presidents have made a habit of making controversial ones, right? Uh, especially at the end of their presidencies. I mean, if we go just back through the list of the most recent presidents, you've got President Obama pardoned Chelsea Manning in the final weeks of his presidency over uh, massive national security leaks. Uh, George W. Bush commuted the sentence of Scooter Libby in 2007 during the last couple of years of his presidency. That was a former aide to Vice President Cheney who was uh, caught up in the, the leaking of a CIA agent's name. Bill Clinton pardoned Mark Rich, a financier who evaded the Iranian oil embargo made huge profits and critically whose family had made really big donations to Democratic politicians. He was pardoned in the final hours of Clinton's presidency. George H.W. Bush pardoned Caspar Weinberger, the Reagan-era defense secretary who had been indicted for perjury in the Iran-Contra scandal. And that was one of Bush's uh, actions in his last months in office. Yeah, those are, those are great examples of, I and mean, I think you've identified exactly the right problematic trend, which is that as Washington had used the pardon power for the national good in many ways, and Lincoln, uh, you know, used his pardon power uh, for the national good during the Civil War, and even arguably President Andrew Johnson by offering a pardon ultimately to um, Confederate soldiers. Uh, really tried to work in the idea that we needed to use this power in order to heal the wounds of the nation. I mean, Johnson was one of the worst presidents we've ever had, but that perhaps <laughs> is, is not a bad ideal to try to say that let's bring people together rather than ostracizing them. Um, we've seen that move from a national justification into a real personal, and I would argue, partisan and perhaps even profit-driven justification. Uh, those four presidents in particular, can include Reagan in that, really made a point of finding individuals who needed, and I have to point out, these are the ones that the popular press picks up on. There are always, in every case, mm -hmm. more pardons that perhaps would be more understandable in terms of mercy or clemency. Right. But in each of those four individual cases, at the end of their terms, importantly, after they were no longer uh, up for a re-election and assessment by the American people at the end of their second terms for several cases, but also at the end of H.W. Bush's first term after he had lost to Bill Clinton. When there's no further judgment that the people can render, they've gone ahead and done things which and given pardons which are useful for them politically, either as rewards to people who have um, done good service to their party, either as ways to keep themselves from getting dragged into further um, legal difficulties, uh, or uh, I think, honestly, in the case of Bill Clinton, uh, as a, a way of, of rewarding people who donate a lot of money to the Democratic Party and to the Clinton Foundation. And that, I think, is something that the constitutional's, uh, Constitution's framers really didn't anticipate, because they argued amongst themselves when they thought about the pardon power, that if a president began using the pardon power inappropriately, well, the obvious solution would be twofold. Either he or she would be voted out of power or he or she would be impeached. Well, that doesn't work if you're in the last 72 hours of your administration. There's, you've already, you've right. already moved past the election and you're well past the time where we have enough time to impeach you. So presidents have really, in the last four administrations in particular, really had no restraints whatsoever on when they, when they were able to use the pardon for their own personal or political gain. And it seems like, I mean, the, the timing of these is clear, right? These presidents realize that, that they're spending political capital that they probably can't get back by, by 
embracing uh, the these pardons, these these causes. I mean, Clinton told Newsweek in 2002 of the the rich pardon that it, it quote it wasn't worth the damage to my reputation. Right. So he he definitely understood that that he 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 was waiting till the end for a reason. Right. And that brings us to Trump. President Trump is is uh, also making some pretty controversial pardons, but he's starting out his presidency with them. Um, you know, a, a few people kind of kind of running down the list. Uh, I think the most high profile is Joe Arpaio, the former sheriff of Maricopa County in Arizona, uh, ran for Senate in, in 2018. But he he was held in contempt of court for uh, the the way his office was uh, mistreating prisoners and and handling investigations into that. Um, there's uh, Dinesh D'Souza, the conservative commentator who was convicted of violating campaign finance rules, directing straw donations to a Senate candidate. These, uh, in in some ways, these these fit kind of the mold of the the growing trend in political pardons that you talked about. But the timing is is way off what we're used to <laughs> seeing. Well, you know, like like everything with presidential Trump, or excuse me, with President Trump, um, the real issue is not the act being unprecedented but the scale and the scope being unprecedented that's a great so, point you know previous previous presidents have had the you know one might say uh, good taste to at least <laughs> wait till they were no longer politically viable politically necessary to make really controversial personal pardons um not trump trump has clearly used them as a way and i think arpaio is the best example as a way to signal to the American electorate and their base in particular where they stand on, on certain issues. I mean, there's no doubt that Arpaio was guilty of contempt of court. No one is actually arguing whether he was guilty or not. And the justification that the president gave for pardoning him was, well, I like him. That's usually not the reason that is given historically for a pardon. Usually there's a greater sense of miscarriage of justice or a greater sense, as I mentioned before, that the nation would benefit from a pardon. Um, there was very little suggestion of that for President Trump in the D'Souza and in the Arpaio cases. Those were clearly simply, I think, President Trump, I think that this is good for me and for the people around me. And again, that's something that most presidents have done in the last several several examples, but at least have waited till their political capital was expended. I mean, going back to Bill Clinton for a second, you know, Clinton's approval rating uh, in the month in the months after he pardoned Mark Rich dropped ten points. And this is after he left office. So, this is a uh, uh, right. Who cares? Right. <laughs> it really doesn't matter in the least. You know, so so he lost ten points after he was in retirement. Well, you know what? I'm guessing um, Bill Clinton yeah. cared about it though, right? If he, I, I, I know, bet he was watching those numbers. If he if he went back through the thought process of thinking that it wasn't worth the damage to his reputation. <laughs> I think I think that's absolutely true, but I also think that there's a reason why he chose to do it then, as opposed to uh, when he still had a year left in office. Mm -hmm. So, l looking at what you've seen already uh, from President Trump's track record of pardons, what what does that suggest to you about what what he might do? I mean, he's he's got at least two, maybe six more years of his presidency ahead of him. Um, that's a lot of time to that's a lot of time to to give pardons. That's a lot of time to do all sorts of things. Yeah, I, I see no reason whatsoever to doubt that Trump is going to continue to use his the president's unfettered pardon power uh, for his own political good and for his own political makeup. I mean, there's been a lot of discussion raised by the president himself over whether or not he could perhaps even pardon himself from crimes that he 
believes he did not commit, but perhaps it would be useful to wave a magic wand over himself and immunize himself in many ways. Uh, the fact that President Trump is willing to discuss that openly suggests to me that he's very willing and very willing to signal to those around him that he is willing to use the pardon power to help individuals who are on his side. Um, I think one of the real concerns that we should have going forward as a nation is that uh, after the Mueller report comes out or after Democratic investigations from the House of Representatives, now after the election, um, perhaps, perhaps, we don't know yet, but perhaps find something that is going to um, require judicial investigation that the president will very easily stop those investigations simply by pardoning the people involved. I mean, you know, what's critical about, say, um, uh, both Watergate when President uh, Nixon was pardoned at, by President Ford or Iran-Contra when President H.W. <clears throat> Bush pardoned people involved in that is that those were really pardons that at the very least the historical book had closed on the problem which is to say Nixon was already out of office and the Iran-Contra people were already no longer in office. Many of them actually were already in jail. Mm -hmm. um, the concern I would have as a historian and as a citizen is that the president will begin to use pardons for ongoing investigations to not so much remedy justice as the Constitution's founders desired, but to arbitrate it and to thwart justice in a real sense. Well, I think that that brings us to uh, our, our next segment coming up. Uh, Jeffrey Engel, thank you so much for joining us to talk us through the history here. Oh, my, my pleasure. learning that President Trump has in fact pardoned former Dick Cheney Chief of Staff Scooter Libby, conservative commentator and author Dinesh D'Souza, boxer Jack Johnson, Joe Arpaio, the former sheriff of Maricopa County, Arizona, was convicted of criminal... All right, so we talked about the historical context here. Now we're, we're going to bring in Darren Samuelson. He's a senior reporter for Politico. He's been covering the Mueller investigation and everything that that touches for the past uh, year and a half now. 18 months. Hi, Darren. How you doing? Good afternoon. <laughs> you know exactly how long it's been that you've been covering it's this. It's going on to 19 now, yeah. <laughs> All right, so... Let's let's start broad here. Tell us a little bit about the current state of the Mueller investigation. Who's been indicted? Who, you know, where where do things stand right now? Well, we are as we just described, 19 months into this investigation. It's kind of seen as a sweet spot. We're we're sort of at a point where the investigators have been doing their work for quite a bit of time. That's why I think we have sort of every Friday now, post-election, this anxiety period of okay, there's going to be more indictments coming soon. It just feels like Everyone who's been questioned has been questioned. Uh, as for who's been indicted, I mean, the the big names are Paul Manafort and his deputy, Rick Gates, who helped run the Donald Trump campaign. Paul Manafort has now since been convicted in a Virginia trial and then later pled guilty before another trial was about to begin. And he is now cooperating with Robert Mueller uh, at his office. He's currently residing in an Alexandria jail uh, just down the road. And, and they bring him up to Manafort, excuse me, up to Mueller's office to uh, answer questions routinely. Uh, Michael Flynn also been uh, pled guilty, excuse me, and uh, we are awaiting his prison sentence, or excuse me, I should say a sentence. We don't know if he's going to be going to prison uh, coming up in a couple weeks. 
those are the three big names that have been indicted. Uh, there have been a number of lesser, uh, smaller figures who have been indicted, as well as uh, I think it's two dozen Russians who played a role in the 2016 hacking who have been indicted. Um, only a few of them have actually entered not guilty pleas. It's a company that is tied to uh, Vladimir Putin that is fighting the charges in a D.C. court. The others are are uh, in Russia and presumably won't be coming to face justice in the American criminal <laughs> justice system anytime soon. Uh-huh. Or, or vacationing anywhere. It's a, Correct. So, okay, so a lot of indict, a lot of charges, a uh, lot of guilty pleas, some convictions uh, already. Looming over all of this, we've seen, is, is this discussion for a long time of Trump ha- has, as the president, has this, is vested with this more or less absolute power to, to wipe these charges off the map if uh, if he wants to and he he has talked about about that i mean he he is it's it's not just a speculative thing he has actually brought this up to reporters in public uh wherever else before and so that this all has has loomed over over everything right because that you've got this uh, not not quite unprecedented but almost unprecedented uh situation of of people with very close ties to the president going in Wondering, or or who knows, maybe knowing that that Trump could use this this ultimate constitutional authority uh, in their favor, and it's not unusual to have this looming question about pardons. I, reading through the Clinton history, uh, it's there too uh, mm-hmm. throughout. These are people who Bill Clinton knew back in the, his Arkansas days, the McDougals. I'm thinking about in particular, and ultimately he did pardon uh, Susan McDougal right at the very end of his presidency. And typically, that's when pardons happen. And I think that that's maybe why. This is so remarkable that we're talking about pardons now rather than on the last day of Donald Trump's presidency, whether it's in 2020 or 2024. Uh, And this has been an unconventional president. So that's why we are having this discussion. Has there been any evidence that this discussion, the speculation has affected the legal strategy of, say, when Paul Manafort was going to trial uh, or when... Uh, some of these other folks who have been indicted have decided to plead guilty or or not. Is is there have we seen any any hints that that the the pardon power has affected those deliberations? Uh, that's a hard question to answer, right. but <laughs> I think the answer is yes. It it has affected it. You know, obviously, Paul Manafort fought the original uh, charges that that uh, that Mueller brought. All the way to the point that he was convicted uh, in front of a jury. And even after uh, he was convicted, it seemed like the Manafort lawyers were playing to President Trump. They were in touch with President Trump. Uh, President Trump's lawyers continue to say that they are in touch with Paul Manafort's attorneys. And that is a very strange thing given where Paul Manafort currently sits as a cooperating in witness <laughs> in jail and and going over to, to, to Mueller's office to cooperate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have some really interesting kind of moments coming up with Manafort because we are in the process of him being sentenced while he is still cooperating with Robert Mueller. And we don't really know what the cooperation has entailed. In the guilty plea that Manafort did reach, it does say he has to help him on everything and anything that he gets asked about. And also that Manafort's lawyers um, might not be in the room when Mueller comes knocking, I mean, I, you know, I have in my head a scenario that Mueller goes over to the jail and, you know, knocks on Manafort's door, wakes him up at three in the morning and says, all right, Paul, <laughs> tell me what you got going. Tell me what's going on here and there. And, and that is certainly allowable. It's allowed in the context of the uh, of the uh, the guilty plea. Um, and we're in this weird moment. And I, and I say this because we just had a filing and postponing a, a report that we were expecting uh, before the Thanksgiving holiday. It's going to come out now right after the Thanksgiving holiday. 
that suggests that something's going on in the Paul Manafort world. We don't know what it is, but we know that the the report that would provide the judge with where the government sees Manafort's cooperation, how helpful it is. That report, which was supposed to be released just in the last couple of days. It's a public report. A public report. We will get to see it. Has been pushed off. It'll come out after the Thanksgiving holiday, which in the context of will there be more indictments, in the context of uh, Rick Gates, which also is happening at the same time, it just has led to more speculation of whether there's something happening, whether Paul Manafort is maybe not being as helpful as he could be in the Mueller uh, questioning. Because again, they're they're debriefing uh, and they're questioning Manafort on what he knows on everything from presumably Russian efforts to influence the 2016 election to we know that Manafort was even in touch with President Trump as he was moving into the Oval Office in January of 17. He was in touch with Reince Priebus at a point in time when the investigation was still not in Bob Mueller's orbit. And these are questions that presumably now Manafort has to answer. And, you know, there are people out there who who see you know, the uncertainty on this maybe is just Manafort resisting and Manafort playing for a pardon down the line. I mean, you know, really, it's impossible to know whether the political fallout would be as bad as some people say if if Trump does pardon someone like Paul Manafort. Um, you know, there's a good chance, again, that that might not happen for a while. And, and I think that the other big part of this is if Trump were to pardon Manafort now or Flynn now or Don Jr. now in a preemptive fashion politically that is an explosive uh thing which is um you know it, it, legally uh, it, it obviously he can do it but uh politically it's explosive and then there's a whole other caveat here of state charges that we're not even sure yeah. yeah well right and you know we uh, we talked about and I, I keep saying the the this more or less kind of just unvarnished power that the president has to pardon. But it's, you know, there's nothing you can do legally to, well, I shouldn't go quite that far. So there's some stuff that hasn't been tested, right? But there's more or less nothing you can do legally to reverse a presidential pardon. But there's... Uh, congressional investigation. There's there's impeachment, which as as you've told us on the show before, is it's not a legal process; it's a political process, uh, by by definition. And and that's uh, uh, another angle that's kind of hanging over this this pardon discussion as people think through uh, what could happen or what would happen if Donald Trump were to bring it to bear on on some of the people close to him who who are right. caught up in this investigation. I mean, if there was a quid pro quo, I mean, if if we learned later on through congressional oversight. That Paul Manafort, you know, clammed up because he had Donald Trump promising a pardon down the road. I would imagine that that would be seen as obstruction of justice and one of the uh, the counts that ultimately would be brought forward by a House impeaching President Trump, whether the Senate would convict mm-hmm. on the other end, TBD. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. The political fallout, whether and I mean, obviously, if Donald Trump were to uh, preemptively pardon or you know, if Donald Trump Jr., his son, was was indicted for something. And we certainly have heard a lot of speculation that Donald Trump Jr. faces liability for his testimony to Congress. And maybe that will be, you know, where the Donald Trump Jr. indictment goes, where it could go. Mm-hmm. You know, there's if the Trump happens. Tower meeting if it happens. Those are the two places that seemingly would be where criminally Donald Trump Jr. is in trouble. And yeah, if the president were to pardon his son, uh, you can just imagine the politics of that. Right. And it is important, as I said, you know, to mention the state charges. I mean, there is right. a backstop here that New York, which is investigating the Trump organization and is where Paul Manafort resides, as is Virginia, you know, could bring state charges, which a presidential pardon does not protect mm-hmm. you from. So 
it's it's just it's interesting. I mean, obviously we're getting speculative here, but it's it's the it's it's impossible not to it's impossible not to go there when you're trying to plan for how to how to cover the, this this thing that uh, I mean not not only is is any government investigation a black box right until until you've got in, indictments filed. I mean, we know there are sealed indictments right, right. sitting in the D.C. Circuit right now. We have no idea what's inside that. That's like the ultimate mm-hmm. <laughs> representation of the black box, right? But the, but but the fact that that Trump has brought this this question of pardons up into the open and that people in his orbit are talking about it, that he's talking about it himself, has forced people like you to to try and tease out all the possibilities of, of what could happen. So you're not flat-footed when news happens. And typically, again, this is something that you really, the pardon discussion doesn't happen until, you know, the lame duck period after a presidency. But yeah, pardons have hung out there uh, since this investigation started. Um, you know, joking a little bit in the newsroom that Thanksgiving Day of this year is going to be, you know, he's just going to go for it and just pardon everybody, <laughs> including himself. Um, turkey hopefully, Day news dump. Yeah, a, a horrible turkey news dump for the, for the world <laughs> if that were to happen. Um, or when he's, you know, pardoning the turkey, he just could kind of start poking, po- poking, pointing around and say, you get a pardon, you get a pardon. Ooh, an Oprah situation. An Oprah situation. Go, yeah. The same way that he, you know, even kind of asked Mike Pence if he was going to run with him back uh, at the press conference at a very impromptu moment. Mm-hmm. Or he announced, you know, that the EPA administrator uh, was going to get nominated uh, at this medal of uh, uh, the the medal ceremony the other days. I mean, things do happen spontaneously in Trump's orbit. So, you know, you obviously have to sign some paperwork and, and you're supposed to uh, you're supposed to go through the Office of Legal Counsel at the Justice well, Department. Well, we've already seen that that's not, not, not necessarily the case with, exactly. with some of the ones Trump has done so far. Darren, you know, I, I, don't, I don't want to put you on the spot, but ultimately, do you think that that something like this is, go- is going to happen at the end of the day, that the Trump is going to end up issuing pardons related to the the Mueller investigation? Yeah, I think the possibility is absolutely there. And I mean, again, it might be later on in his presidency. Mm-hmm. Um, once we've got a report, I think that's maybe the most important thing here is, you know, in the Trump world and in his legal world and all the advisors around him would say, do not pardon anybody until this investigation is over and we know the full extent of what's been brought. And and until we actually get a final report from Robert Mueller, whenever that is, and if we get it in public, you know, that's a big question too. That would be the time when I think pardons would happen. Well, Darren, this is fascinating. Thank you so much for uh, taking the time out to talk us through it. I hope you have a really good, restful, quiet Thanksgiving. I hope so, too. Everyone's thanking. The whole world's thanking you. And a big thank you to you, our listeners, for tuning in this week. Our producer is Michaela Rodriguez. Dave Shaw is our executive producer. Our illustrator is Bill Cookman. If you like the Nerdcast and you're listening on Apple Podcasts, do us a favor and leave a review. It helps new listeners find the show. Once again, a big thanks to all of you for tuning in for this special Thanksgiving edition. We'll be back with our regular roundtable next week. Hope you tune in. Did I say happy Thanksgiving? Happy Thanksgiving.